us pray. Almighty, infinite Father, faithfully loving Your own, here in our weakness You find us falling before Your throne. You told us to approach the throne of grace to receive help in our time of need. And we are all desperately in need of You and Your help by Your Spirit. Please, Lord, supply what is lacking according to the riches that are found in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, as promised... Today, I will uh, bring the second part of this message that I began the last time I was before you, where last time we looked at, are you the cause of blasphemy? Is God blasphemed because of you? And that was, of course, coming from Romans chapter 2, because of hypocrisy, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And we looked at the areas of hypocrisy. Just a moment of sin can lead to the shame of my fellow believers. Uh, Grumbling and complaining during suffering. The discipline of the Lord can cause the wicked to blaspheme. But then we looked at Manasseh, his life, which was so dark, which was so wicked, filled with so much evil, and how the Lord gave mercy to him. And he repented, and there's hope. But this morning, as our brother actually this was uh, telling us about omission, the things that we leave undone, this is a sermon I've called, Is God Glorified Because of You? And this is going to be urging us toward positive commands. The other message was, stop doing these things because they lead to blasphemy. This is, start doing these things because it leads to God being glorified. Now, at the outset, we know that God will be glorified, right? Regardless of what happens. Think of Romans 9. Uh, 21. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand 
for glory. So when God punishes the wicked, His justice, His righteousness, His wrath is on display and He's glorified. When He gives mercy and we have those who are receivers of salvation, what do you see? You see His wisdom. You see His kindness. You see His patience. You see His love. Whether you are a vessel of wrath or a vessel of mercy, you will glorify God. God is going to be glorified. So for me to name my sermon, is God glorified because of you, seems like a rhetorical question. Because the answer is, yes, God is going to be glorified always. Yet in another sense, there is a way in which you can live that will cause your Father in heaven to be glorified. And the implication of that is if you don't live a certain way, then God will not be glorified in this regard. So let's define our terms. What does glorify mean? Glorify obviously comes from glory. So what is glory? We sing about glory. We talk about glory. But what is it? Glory means weight. Um, my family, we used to go to Orange Leaf. Remember that, kids? It's been a while. And uh, if you've ever been to Orange Leaf or one of their you know, similar establishments, you go in there, you get a cup, put in frozen yogurt, and then you go to the toppings, and you start adding on whatever kind of toppings you want. Kids love that part. Daddy doesn't like the next part so much. They weigh it. And depending on how much it weighs, it determines how much it costs. So the more sweet, good, tasty, fun stuff you put into this cup, the more it weighs, the more it costs. Likewise, brothers and sisters, when you think of God, who he is, you think of his holiness, you think of his perfection, you think of his wisdom, you think of his glory. That is his glory. It's all of who he is and that being weighty and the weightiness of all of his attributes combined is his glory. So what does it mean to glorify? Well, to glorify means to take the weightiness of who he is and respond to it. Respond to it in how you think. You think about God. Like take, for example, the fact that God is sovereign, meaning he's in charge of all, controlling all. So that is the weightiness of God in this one area of his sovereignty. How do we glorify God? Based upon his sovereignty, we don't worry. You don't fear. You trust. That is responding to who he is appropriately. Letting the weight of who God is fall upon you and that changes how you walk. As a school teacher, I see little kids with big bags filled with books and they walk differently when they wear the bag and when they don't, right? Weightiness causes us to walk differently. The weightiness of who God is is supposed to change who we are, supposed to. As our brother so honestly laid out, Even though we know this truth doesn't mean we always live according to this truth. 
This is why we need the Spirit to continue to sanctify us. Praise God, he does that. So glorifying God is living, thinking, obeying, praying, loving, reading, working, and all the rest that you do in such a way that points to the weightiness of who God is. You were created to glorify God. So I wanted to look at several areas as we ask this question, is God glorified because of you? So let's turn to Matthew chapter 5, because this is the, the, the verse uh, that is the, the launch pad for the whole concept that we're looking at. As I said, Romans chapter 2 was the launch pad for is God blasphemed? Do you cause blasphemy? But for God to be glorified, we look at Matthew 5. Matthew 5, and specifically, it's verse 16. My, my page is all falling apart here. So, um, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So you see, there's a way to live in such a way before others, that the result is God being glorified. So let's get the full context of this. Uh, Starting with verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So you need to be salty. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount here commanding his people. You need to be salty and you need to be bright. And in the saltiness, in the shining before others, the result will be our Father being glorified. So the question that we should be asking, hopefully you're asking, is what does it mean to be salt and light? And to find that out, we go up to verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The very next word, you are the salt of the earth. So what's the context of this light and salt? It's not just paying your taxes, mowing your lawn, Being a good employee, that's not the context. The context is persecution. The context is being hated for Jesus. 
and rejoicing and being glad, praying and praising God when you are hated for Jesus. And when the world sees, even though we hate you for Christ, you are not despairing. As was pointed out earlier by the apostles in the book of Acts. Does anybody hate you because you are in Christ? Can you think of a name? Can you think of anyone who knows you, who hates you, who persecutes you, who despises you, who seeks to do you harm because you're in Christ? Not because you're rude, not because you're unloving, not because you're this, that, or the other, but simply because you are in Christ. Are you being persecuted? Is anyone not your friend today, children, because you want to follow Christ? Have you lost money? Have you lost position? Have you lost family? Have you lost opportunities? All because of Jesus. When you're mocked for Christ and you still love, still rejoice, still praise the Lord and do good to the very people who are mocking you, hating you and despising you because of Christ, that is light and salt. And that brings glory to our Father. John Piper summarized this uh, very well. Uh, he said, Jesus said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice in that day. Your reward is great in heaven. He said, do you think it's random that the next thing out of his mouth was, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world? That's not random. I think what he means is the taste of life that people are aching for is to see a person who has joy in the midst of pain. People want to see somebody who has something so deep, so unshakable, so invincible that when all around their soul gives way, their joy doesn't give way. And remember, joy is not laughing. You find no time in the Bible where Jesus laughed. We don't even see any evidence that he smiled. <laughs> and yet there was no one who had more joy than Jesus. Don't be condemned or condemn yourself as you suffer that you have no joy because you're not walking around with a big smile on your face. That's not what joy means. It means you have something unshakable because of the truth of who God is, and no one can take that from you. Your hope is in Christ and not in this world or your circumstance. So, persecution, being persecuted for Christ brings glory to Him if you do good works. Remember the other day we asked the church, Are you being persecuted? And then we started to say, what brings persecution? What are the things that you can do that bring persecution to you? And we had some good discussion on that. What about your life brings persecution, if anything? Let me challenge you here. Tell somebody about Christ this week, someone you don't know. 
maybe someone you do know. One person a week, tell someone about Christ and watch how the level of persecution rises in your life. But rejoice and be glad on that day when they hate you, and that will bring glory to our Father. Second thing that will bring glory to God by the way you live is calling upon the Lord glorifies God. Psalm 50, verse 14 and 15. Calling upon the Lord, specifically in the day of trouble, glorifies God. Psalm 50, verse 14. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. How does calling upon the name of the Lord in the day of trouble bring his name glory? I know we are pretty much a coffee-drinking church. Uh, We love our coffee. Uh, But a a nice cup of tea can be nice, right? Um, Children, how many of you have ever made tea before? All right, so what what do you need? You need a a cup, right? Not not a plastic cup, because that'll burn your hand. Uh, You need a tea bag. And what else do you need? Water. Someone said hot water. Can you just turn on the faucet, put on some hot water, and put your tea bag in there? No, you need what kind of water? Boiling water, the hottest water you can find. Now, why? Why do you not put ice water? Why do you not just put lukewarm water? Hot water won't even do it. Why do you need boiling water? Because in order to get out of the tea bag what's in it, you need intense heat. And that's how you are able to bring out the flavor. The hotter the water, the better the flavor. The longer it's in there, the more comes out. Likewise, brothers and sisters, when you are placed in the hot water of trouble, what comes out? The specific question is, who do you call upon? What comes out of you when you're in the midst of the heat of suffering and trouble? I'll tell you what the world does. When the boiling water of pain and danger begins to burn you, they panic, they murder, they lie, they steal, they cheat. They would protect themselves or seek the protection from men But what does the Christian do? What are we being called to do when the hot water is all around us? What flavor should come out of the tea bag of the Christian's heart? We call upon the name of the Lord in the day of trouble. Is that what you do? Do you call upon the name of the Lord in the day of trouble or or do you call upon your friends? Do you run to music? Do you run to leisure? Do you run to 
a movie, a long drive, a short walk? Do you call upon your anger, your manipulative ways to save you? Do you call upon the arm of the flesh or do you run to the Father first? Who do you call upon in the day of trouble? What words come out? What thoughts do you entertain? Is it revenge? The schemes and the strategies of men? Or does your heart run to your Father in heaven? I mean, think about this, brethren. This hits us everywhere. The day of trouble is always upon us. When you want justice, who do you cry out to? The king? When you need guidance, do you go to the good shepherd when you're feeling like a lost sheep? Do we dial the great physician to be healed first? I mean, all this talk about vaccine. Some people trust in the vaccine. Well, okay, we can find fault there, but you could just as easily trust in natural remedies, zinc, vitamin D, C, sunlight, exercise, everything else. We can trust in the masks. Or the stats that say the masks don't work. Either way, we're trusting not in him, but in this. In the day of trouble, where are we putting our trust? Who do we call upon in the day of trouble? Am I saying not to take a walk, not to have a drive, not to have friends? Not at all. What I'm asking is, do you call upon the name of the Lord in the day of trouble? This glorifies God because it shows we trust Him. We run to Him. We rely on Him. We look to Him. And think, the weightiness of who He is, why do we run to Him? Because I know about Him that He's strong. And I need strength. I run to him because he is a deliverer and I need refuge. I run to him because he is the great physician and I'm sick and I need to be healed. I need guidance. I'm lost. And he's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. You see, when we run to him, when we call upon him in the day of trouble, we are glorifying him because of the weightiness of who he is. And when we don't do that, whether it's me or you, when we don't do that, we are robbing him of glory and giving it to something or someone else. So call upon the name of the Lord. He promises when that happens, he will deliver you and the result will be his glory. And when you look at Christ, is that not what you see? Think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, his day of trouble. He called upon his father three times on the cross. He called upon his father. My God, my God, there was no greater day of trouble. And we see what came out. What tea? It was the sweetest and most flavorable tea this world has ever seen. So let us follow Christ in such a way. The third thing that will bring glory to our Father by the way we live is weakness and suffering for Christ. Now, persecution is, is one thing. But the, the weakness in the suffering. 
John 21, verse 18 through 19. Jesus before his disciples, telling them. Here he talks to Peter. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to what? Glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter is given a prophetic view into the end of his life. And guess what he sees? Suffering, torture, martyrdom. And the Lord says, this is how you're going to glorify me through suffering, through torture, through weakness, through martyrdom. What do you think about that? Do you ever say, why does God do it like that? Like, why, why not wealth and health and prosperity? You know, some people, they, they, they see a celebrity, say they want to follow Christ, and it's like excitement. Why? Because they say, if that person it becomes a Christian, how many millions of people will want to follow Christ? Have you ever heard that or said that? I mean, wouldn't the world see successful, super rich, super intelligent, super prosperous Christians, and won't they say, wow, that looks excellent. I want to follow Christ too. Have you ever heard that? Do you think that way? Do you ever say, why, why doesn't God do it that way? Because that looks more attractive than a bunch of beat up, imprisoned, broke, hungry, weak believers. Right. Do you know why God doesn't use any of those things, why that is not the way God thinks? Because God will not share his glory with another. He does all things for his glory and he ensures, he guarantees that when he does things, no man can ever be pointed to and say they deserve the boasting, the praise, none of that. God has his ways. And his ways are always the weakness of men to glorify his strength. Many people will follow Kanye West, Justin Bieber, and all the rest who said they wanted to follow Jesus. Many people have come and said, yeah, oh man, I want to, those are my favorite celebrities. But talk to those people and see, they don't really want Christ. They just want to go along with their favorite celebrity. Many people, if you have a brand new house and a brand new car and a successful job and this, that and the other, many people will say, following Christ gets me that. I'll take Jesus. But they don't want Christ. They want stuff. They want what's in his hands. They don't want him. But see, when people follow Christ and they are spit on and they suffer and they're broke and they're weak and they still want him, it communicates the value of Jesus. There's nothing supernatural about having joy when your stomach is full 
your bank is full, and everybody likes you. Nothing supernatural needed for that. The world wants that. The devil wants that. It takes supernatural power for the opposite. This is God's way. Think of 1 Corinthians 1.26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. The first century, the church was made up not of the highest philosophers, not of the Aristotles, not of the Plato's, not of the Socrates, not of these great minds. No, not many wise according to worldly standards. If the world was to test you, eh, you're kind of low on the IQ scale. Not many were powerful, not rulers. Those in Caesar's household greet you. Probably the slaves in Caesar's household, not so much Caesar himself. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of of God. This is God's way. This is how God gets glory by our weakness and our suffering. Isn't that what happened with Gideon? Takes his army, whittles it down, whittles it down even more to 300, and then he wins the victory. James 2, 5, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? God chooses the poor, the weak. That doesn't mean that there are no wealthy people. In fact, us Americans, we are wealthier than the third of the world. We are the rich people. But you get the point, right? God confounds the wise of this world by choosing that which is despised of this world to accomplish his means. And when we, as the the bearers of the name of Christ, walk in this weakness, walk in this suffering, even if it means, like Peter, the way we're going to glorify God is not by being on a throne, but by being on a cross. And that looks weak to the world. They don't look at that and say, power. They look at that and say, failure. God is glorified through that. Matthew 11, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. My son has been uh, mowing the lawn. Actually, my whole family, they've been mowing the lawn with the push mower because our riding mower was down. And the uh, push mower takes gasoline. Uh, if, uh, that's fine, right, for a mower. But if you went to a rocket, a space rocket, and you brought a can of gasoline, what would happen? Nothing, right? Why not? Because that gasoline is not strong enough to power that machine. You need something much stronger. You need rocket fuel. 
Likewise, brothers and sisters, what I'm talking about here, this suffering and weakness and finding joy in the midst of that, you can't do that by your own power. It would be as foolish as trying to take gasoline and fuel a rocket ship. You need something much stronger. And this is the power of the Holy Spirit alone who can give you the grace necessary to be able to walk in this. I can't do it. You can't do it. But the Spirit of God through you is absolutely able. Because we would be just like the rest of the people who love God for what He gives instead of who He is. But God has done something in those of us who are Christians. He's done something. He's shown us Himself. And that changes everything. We are not hard-hearted, cold, mean, unforgiving. We're not those people anymore. We used to be. The Bible says we were haters of others and hating ourselves. That's what we were. We were just dark. But Christian, have you ever tried to hold a grudge? You can't. You ever tried to... To, to, to go back to your old ways and like, no, I'm, go- I'm going to resort back to my old way of thinking. You may be able to do that for a little bit, but the Lord comes for you and you cannot contain. Why? Because the power of the spirit is stronger and he changes you and transforms everything about you. Again, that doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you've made it. It doesn't mean you've arrived. Not at all. Thank God for the sanctifying work of the spirit. But you're different. You're changed. We don't think the same. We don't even sin the same. And everything is different now. The way up is down. He resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. What's the way to be strong in this new society? To be weak. Take it as a compliment if someone calls you weak. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. His power, the glory for the power and might of God is glorified through your weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest Upon me. How do you gain your life, Christian? By losing it. The way to have more is to give more. The way to glorify God is by suffering and walking in the weakness so that His strength can be on display. Why would anyone want to do this? Remember Jesus talked about the treasure in the field? He said that man walked through the treasure, through the field. He saw a treasure and he hid it. And then, in his joy, he sold how many of his things? Everything. Why? So that he could buy that field, so that he could possess that treasure. He did it with joy. Why? Because 
In his mind, when he weighed things out, everything he had was worth less than that treasure. That treasure was worth more than everything he had combined. The treasure is Christ. And when you have heard the gospel, when the Spirit of God has taken your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh, your eyes have been opened to see the beauty in the face of Christ. In joy, you say, Father, take everything from me. Take my health, take my life, take my family, take my stuff, take it all as long as I have you. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's none upon earth I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength and my portion forever. That is the Spirit of God who makes us such a way that we can say like we sang, and a mighty fortress is, my, is our God. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Brothers and sisters, this is how we're living. Are you living in such a way that shows that Christ is your treasure? I know this is a battle. This is a struggle. I mean, just because I'm up here doesn't mean I've arrived. (laughs) We're all under the same standard in need of Christ, right? But we need to live in such a way that shows Jesus is the treasure of treasures. All right, three or four. Sexual purity glorifies God. 1 Corinthians 6, 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I don't need to give you the disgusting details of sexual sin in our world, one, it would be unprofitable, two, it would be unnecessary. You already know it. You know how wicked this world is. And if you're a parent, if you're a faithful parent, to some degree, even though your children may be young, you have still had to sit down with them and give them some type of talk about some element of this, whether it's watching out for predators or being careful about sleepovers or Internet or something. It speaks to the sadness of the state of the world we live in. Things were no different in Paul's day. Prostitution was not only legal, it was respected, it was part of the worship of the people. And in that sexually immoral culture, Paul urged the men and the women of Christ to be different, to think about their bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit. 
Do you ever think about the fact that the Spirit of God dwells within you? And that being what changes your behavior regarding sexual immorality? I mean, do you ever think about what you make the Spirit of God watch or listen to? Paul seeks to break the hearts of the people with outrage and shame. Listen to how he says it. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. That's the that's 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 the idea there with the emphasis. This is outrageous to consider doing such a thing. That's how Paul urges these believers to not do this. And to not just flee sexual immorality, but actually glorify God in your body in the way you walk in purity. Are you fighting against sexual sin or are you using the body that God gave you to sin against Him? What have you been watching on your phone? I mean, what's on your computer? What's been going on in your mind this month? Where have your eyes gone? Have you been taking second looks? Have you been having conversations that you should not be having? Are you sexually pure before the Lord? And I don't mean are you perceived to be sexually pure by your parents, by your spouse, by the people who know you, before the Lord, when no one is watching, who are you? What are you saying? What are you thinking? What are you doing? And sisters, beware of saying that's for the men. The Bible does not talk that way and neither should you. That passage in in, uh, 1 Corinthians there didn't say, brothers, we're not talking to you, sisters. This is for us all. All of us can glorify God in the way we deal with the area of sexual purity. So how are you doing? How's your thought life? You were bought with a price. Therefore, Paul says, glorify God with your body. What was that price? We're going to be the Lord's Supper here. We're going to be talking about that price. The price, Christ was nailed to the cross to buy you. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There's only one way to get blood. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was laid upon him. Jesus drank down. Have you ever drank something that was too hot and it burns your tongue or it gets past your tongue and it burns your throat? Think of Jesus drinking the cup of the Father's wrath and how it would have burned his throat like boiling water. He drank down that cup so that you and I could be forgiven and washed and cleansed so that we could be holy and righteous and pure before him. We don't have to earn favor and acceptance with him. Jesus lived perfectly, died 
died sacrificially, suffered infinitely so that we could be pure before the Lord. Blessed are the pure in heart. Brothers and sisters, you are pure in heart, not because you live such a righteous life, but because Jesus did. And that purity of heart now empowers you to walk in the same purity. What a thing he's done for us. He loves you when, while you were still a sinner. Therefore, glorify God with your body. He chose you, not because you were wise, wealthy, and righteous. He chose you because he wanted you. Therefore, glorify God with your body. He gave you a mind to think and meditate upon him. Use your mind for him, not for filth. What about slander that can't stick? Slander that can't stick glorifies God. 1 Peter 2, 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Chris, you were all up in my message this morning. Thank you, brother, for laying a foundation. The day of visitation, I heard you mention that earlier. Look, brothers and sisters, the word of God urges you and I to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. You're commanded to live among the lost people that you know in such a way that it can be called honorable. Are you doing that? And what's the what's the payment for living such a holy and righteous and honorable life before these people? When they speak against you as evildoers, that's guaranteed. You walk honorably, they're going to speak against you as an evildoer. Isn't that what they did to Jesus? So don't let the fact that they speak against you as an evildoer discourage you from living. And I know it's so easy to get discouraged when you're trying and people speak against you. And you're like, Lord, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Continue. Press on. Don't let that distract you. This is the opposite of Romans 2. Hypocrisy brings blasphemy, but living honorably, even when they slander you, because it can't stick brings glory to the Father. So live holy, they're not going to praise you for it. Live righteous, they're not going to applaud you for it. In fact, the more you speak up for the, the, the cause of Christ, the more you live honorable lives, the more they're going to hate you. Barclay concludes that this is timeless truth, whether we like it or not. Every Christian is an advertisement for Christianity. By his life, he either commends it to others or makes them think less of it. The strongest missionary force in the world is a Christian life. In the early church, this demonstration of the loveliness of the Christian life was supremely necessary because of the slanders the heathen deliberately cast on the Christian church. Here's what happens. You live 
honorably before the wicked and they're going to slander you. They're going to speak against you as evildoers. What did the early church go through? You know what they were accused of? They were accused of terrorism. Nero blamed the church for burning down Rome. They were accused of atheism because they denied every one of the Roman gods. They were accused of cannibalism. Why? The body and blood of the Lord. They were accused of incest. Brother, sister. They were accused and slandered, but it couldn't stick. And it wasn't just the early church. In Muslim countries, you know what the Christians there are accused of? Ripping pages out of the Quran, speaking against Muhammad. In China, the Christians are accused of being rebels against the government. And in this country, Christian, what are you accused of? Being a racist, being a bigot, being a homophobe, and all the rest. You're going to be slandered when you live honorably and righteously, but it won't be able to stick when. When will you be vindicated, Christian? On the day of visitation. When is that? Well, there's two schools of thoughts. One is when the Lord has grace upon the one who was slandering you, he saves them and their eyes are open and they say, you were right all along. Or when he returns in judgment and all things are laid bare and the true reality is laid out for all, then you will be vindicated. But until that day, you will be slandered You'll be treated wrongly, even though you do what's right. Press on. Why? Because this brings glory to Christ. Don't give up. Titus 2, 7. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about you. Okay, well, last, last point here. The transformed life glorifies God. The transformed life glorifies God. Um, Matthew 15, 29. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Anyone who came to Jesus left different. Right. If you came with demons, you were going away free. If you came blind, you were going away seeing. If you came deaf, you were going away hearing whatever ailment you had. If you came to Jesus, he took care of your condition. And when people saw the, the stark contrast, wait a minute. 
This man has been laying here 40 years and now he's walking. Aren't you blind Bartimaeus? I guess I can't call you blind anymore because you're seeing now. Brothers and sisters, this is what happened to you. Have you ever told your testimony to someone? And I'm hoping, right, Greg's schedule must be booked with all the people who've signed up to do their video testimony, right? A brother can hope. Uh, When you tell someone your testimony, tell your children your testimony. Have they ever said to you, I can't even think about you being that way. Have you ever told your testimony to another Christian? They said, you? You did that? I can't even imagine you being that way. What is that? The blind seeing. The dead raised. When you, when you talk about what you were and people see, you don't even have to talk about what you are now because they see what you are. And it's so different and it's so world changing. Glory goes to God because only he can do this kind of thing. Some of you were thieves and now you are honest, trustworthy givers. Some of you were liars. Everything that came out of your mouth was a lie. And now you are honest speakers of truth. Some of you were adulterers and now you're faithful. Some of you were murderers and now you're gentle. Some of you did all manner of things, but today you're different. Why? God did the work and that brings glory to him. Transformed lives bring glory to God. Tell people what he's done. That's exactly what happened with the demoniac. He had a legion of demons. He went from town to town in the 10 cities and everyone marveled. Why? Because they knew him. His reputation had gone far and wide. Stay away from that guy. This is the man who was demon possessed and now he's seated, clothed in his right mind. Only God can do that. That's exactly what happened. And you know what, brothers and sisters, that's what happened in Paul's life. In Galatians 1.23, they, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And get this, the complete opposite of Romans 2, and they glorified God because of me. That's what you want. That's what you want. So what, what do you do? Strive. After more Christ-likeness, the more you look like Jesus, the less you look like the old man. The more I strive after Christ, the less I look like Tawfiq. And when people who know me know what I was, see what I am, they say, look, I don't like your Christ. I don't like your Bible. I don't agree with your Christianity, but I cannot deny something happened to you. Like John MacArthur says all the time, you cannot argue with a transformed life. And some of you may be discouraged because you feel like I'm growing so little. Uh, I'm still struggling with this. I still battle with this. But I think what you're doing is not looking at what you were compared to where you are. And we do that with our children. We see our children every day. Like my sister's on her way. I'm going to see my nephews and my little niece. And you know what I'm going to say? My, how you've grown. And what are they going to say to our children? Wow, you got big. But you don't see it when you're with people every day. 
Thanks be to God that he looks at us different than we look at ourselves and each other. If you are in Christ, he is growing you. And you may be battling, you may be struggling, but the Lord God grows his people. So let me motivate you. If you've been playing around with your sanctification, you've not been taking your walk seriously. Listen, the more you strive after being like Christ, the holy, holy, holy one will be seen as he is supposed to be seen. And he will be loved and trusted and treasured. And lastly, if you're here and you do not know him, as I said earlier, listen, sinner, you're going to glorify God. You are going to glorify God. Now, that may be by your judgment and destruction. God is going to keep his promise. You know what he promised? Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. I will repay, says the Lord. God is going to keep his promise. But you don't have to glorify God through eternal suffering. You can glorify God by being a vessel of mercy. He gives you the command, repent and believe the gospel. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved this very day. Brothers and sisters, may we live in such a way that brings glory to our God and not blasphemy. For he's worthy of glory. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you that you would even give people like us the privilege and the honor of living for you, bearing your name. In light of all the failure and weakness in us, you would be pleased to use us to bring you glory. Father, forgive us for how we've not enjoyed this more. And give us grace, Lord, that we might all the more press on, onward and upward to the high calling of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.